As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Soda can before it. We don't want that on the audio. Sure, we do. All right. Uh, good evening. Um, welcome to another episode of Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on television. And um, we're going to be doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, well, season one, episode three tonight, and Flash episode one, season one, episode two. And apparently I can't talk, so. I think I'll kick it to my co-host here. I'm Scott McGregor, by the way, still. We haven't, haven't shuffled up the uh, the team yet. Uh, and I'm joined by the hair metal hero himself, Mr. Chris Tyler. And, hey. And we're going to kick it to you and uh, tell us a little bit about what The Flash is up to for his right. second episode. Okay, so uh, season one, episode two, it's called The Fastest Man Alive, uh, which is what no guy ever wants to be called. Uh, but... <laughs> Except unless you're the Flash. All right, so let me just, uh, you know, go through this synopsis here. I tried to make it as thorough as possible without being too overly long. It still ended up being pretty long. Um, okay, so we start off, and uh, Barry's zooming around Central City. He uh, assists in a fire that's going on. He rescues a bunch of people. And at the same time, Dr. Snow is grilling Cisco about helping Barry do super heroic stuff. Barry goes to speed off back to Star Labs, and he has a moment of pain before actually speeding off. Snow then badges Barry about doing the superheroics, and Dr. Wells then cautions Barry on pushing himself beyond his limits. Barry jets off to do his CSI work as he's gotten a call by Joe, and Barry determines that a murder that was just committed was done by more than one man, even though the surveillance video only shows a lone gunman. They all have the same boots. We flash back to Joe West talking to a young Barry about seeing Henry Allen in prison, and uh, he's not allowing it. And they have some friction about Joe not really being Barry's dad. So we go back to present day, and Barry's using his super speed to centrifuge some uh, crime samples in the crime lab. And then he looks like he just gets like super winded, just like earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. Iris then comes into the lab to ask Barry to explain some science to her, as they're both going to be going to a function at Stag Enterprises. Yes, that's Simon Stag. Uh, Metamorpho fans will be aware of that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, Eddie Thon then comes in, and they, him and. Iris start making out in front of Barry, and he's just like, yeah, I'm so glad you're cool with all this, Barry. Yeah. Barry's just like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> it's like, I could plunge my fist right or through your chest, you asshole, yes, but I'm cool with it. <laughs> I, I actually don't hate the Eddie Thon character. I think they made him a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, I think was kind of the point. Uh, so we cut to Stag Enterprises, and Barry is trying to explain some science to Iris. 
And then they end up talking about her relationship with Eddie. As soon as Stag receives his award and exits the main uh, lobby, there's some black-clad gunmen that enter the function, and they begin lining everybody up to rob them. Barry super speeds a security guard out of harm's way after the uh, gunmen shoot at him, and then he collapses after seeing the crooks get away in a van. The cops arrive, and Joe talks about letting the cops chase the crooks to Barry. He doesn't want him getting involved. Barry goes to Star Labs and gets balled out by Dr. Snow about his recent feigning and lapses in speed because he wasn't letting on earlier. Mm. There's some minor talk about Ronnie, who was Caitlin's recently deceased fiance, who died during the particle accelerator explosion. We see Barry working out on a big-ass treadmill just to test what's going on with him, and the Star Labs peeps are testing why he's feeling so messed up. They determine what's wrong just as he stops running and is sent flying off the treadmill into some cardboard boxes. We flash back again to Iris talking to Joe about Barry being missing from the house. This is a flashback to when they're both kids. Mm. Iris says she knows where Barry went, and Joe says, yeah, I know where he is, too. We cut back to the present, where we figure out that Barry is slowing down due to his increased metabolism. He now has to eat more due to the rapid change in his biology. Joe busts into Star Labs and calls them all out for letting Barry use his speed to be a hero. Joe gets upset that Barry's playing the hero, and Barry is his son, and he doesn't want him getting hurt. Barry pushes back, saying he knows he's not, saying that he's not going to help stopping people. And Joe exits after letting the gang know that they don't know what they don't know, and that they need to act smarter before someone gets hurt. We cut to the masked gunman talking to Stag's head of security, Jaffa, about what happened. And the gunman, Danton Black, wants Stag dead. Jaffa says Black is nothing without his army. Then Denton Black multiplies himself into a bunch of copies and kills Jaffa. So we get a scene with uh, Barry and Iris where Iris gets all pissy about Barry being uh, flaky recently. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Barry is reviewing the cells from the murder of Jaffa. And he sees that the killer cells are like stem cells that can replicate. Joe and Eddie are letting Stag know that he may be in danger and that someone's out to kill him. Joe confronts Stag about Danton Black, and Stag feels that Black is no threat. That's all of a sudden when Black busts in with some multiples of himself and starts shooting up the place. Barry suits up after hearing about the shoot-off and heads off to save Joe from Danton Black. Barry tussles with the multiple copies of Black and gets his ass beat, zooming off at the last second before a bunch of the multiples try to shoot him. Um, okay. That's oh. Star Labs. Yeah, go ahead. Did we get, uh, was this Cisco's like, first naming of a villain, or did he do Weather Wizard for that? I think he did Weather Wizard, yeah. But he, I mean, he originally calls, the in the episode, he calls him Captain Clone. He says it's terrible. I'll think of something better later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, at Star Lab, this, all the scientists are discussing Danton Black and his powers. Barry goes to leave, doubting that he should be fighting the metahumans at all, and Barry concludes that his being the Flash is a mistake. Again, we cut to another flashback of young Barry, who has uh, gone off to visit his dad in jail, even after Joe has told him not to go. Henry tells Barry that it's not Joe that's stopping him from coming, but Henry himself doesn't want, him, doesn't want Barry to see him in jail like that. Henry tells Barry to be good before heading back to his cell. Joe is, uh, no, back to the present again. Joe is back trying to convince Stag to take the police help. When Dr. Wells rolls into CCPD, and Wells and Joe then discuss Barry, and if Wells knew what Barry had become when Barry was in uh, a coma, 
Wells makes the point that Star Labs and Barry are the only ones who can protect against the metahumans created by the particle accelerator explosion. And Wells lets Joe know that Barry is quitting because he doesn't quitting being the Flash because he doesn't feel like he can do it. Wells lets Joe know that he also cares about Barry. We cut to Iris and Barry at the uh, coffee shop they are always at, and Iris then drops that she's following up on some strange occurrences happening in Central City. Barry gets a call from Snow saying he needs to get to Star Labs immediately as we see Danton Black standing in front of her. It turns out that Snow grew a duplicate from the uh, cells from Danton Black, and we find out the clones are really just empty vessels without Black consciously controlling them. They theorize that Black controlling all those duplicates is going to put a strain on his metabolism the same way Barry's running is doing. The key is going to be to find the one copy of Black that's showing signs of fatigue and take him out. Cisco also makes Barry some super high-calorie snack bars to mitigate Barry's calorie needs. The Black duplicate then starts to move as Joe busts in and puts the clone down. <laughs> Joe admits that the police can't help and only Barry's going to be the one that's going to be able to stop him. Yeah. The army of Danton Blacks invades Stagg's building and quickly kills his other security force, then confronts Stagg as Barry suddenly zooms Simon Stagg out of danger. Barry super speeds around as Black lays out why he wants to kill Stagg. Stagg was uh, said stolen Danton Black's cloning research, and Danton Black was doing cloning research to try to save his sick wife. He was going to try to clone her a heart. So unfortunately, his wife ends up dying, and Stagg steals the research. So Denton Black unloads a bunch of copies onto Barry, and Barry, there's just no way he can fight all of them. Joe says that even the impossible is possible in the world right now, so he's got to think of something. Barry cl- catches a glimpse of the uh, prime Black falling down, and he super speeds through the army of uh, copies and uh, super speeds the prime Black away and knocks him out. The copies all pass out as well when that happens. Just when Barry thinks it's over, the... Uh, Prime Danton Black tries to knock Barry out a window, and Barry dodges him. Black crashes through the window, and Barry tries to keep uh, Danton Black from falling to his death. So he's got him by Flash has got Danton Black, you know, held by one hand. Mm. But uh, Danton Black's not having it. He grows an extra hand out of his wrist and rips Barry's hand away, forcing him to to fall. Black crashes down to the pavement, dead. Barry laments that he couldn't save Black, and Wells lets him know that some people don't want to be saved. Cisco names Black Multiplex, which we all knew that was coming. (laughs) Barry lets the crew know that he's, um, that even though he's the one who's out there physically, they were all struck by the lightning the night the particle accelerator exploded. Uh, Joe visits Barry in the crime lab at CCPD with some pizza and lets him know that moving forward, the two of them will figure out who killed Nora Allen when Barry was a kid, and they will get Henry out of jail. Joe and Barry have a nice moment about what, who, who and what a dad actually is. The episode ends with Barry speeding off to help more people and Iris investigating the red streak in Central City. The stinger for the episode is Dr. Wells in his wheelchair visiting Stag and discussing the Flash. Stag says that the man in the red mask is the key to changing people's lives and that Stag is going to get him. Wells then stands up out of his wheelchair and stabs Stag in the stomach, killing him. Wells tells Stag while this is happening that the man in the red mask is the Flash and he must be kept safe. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, which uh, doesn't bode well for a metamorpho uh, cameo later on, unfortunately, but... Yeah. 
<laughs> if, if you know what though, if you're not going to use Metamorpho anyway, you might as well use Stag as just a name drop and murder. Him. Yeah, that, stuff like that doesn't bother me, especially. There's no way you're going to get everybody. No, right? And it's like if you're going to use a named character, change it up a little bit, and you know, have that be a little bit of a punch. Because not only do they use Stag. But then they also deepen the mystery of Harrison Wells by yeah. clearly showing him get up out of his wheelchair and murder in order yeah. to protect the Flash. Yeah. He's not only this mysterious guy that gets newspapers from the future, he's a, a present-day murdery type person. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, love that we got a little crossing of the Marvel streams uh, with with this one. Cause yeah, was, Professor, was, what, President Warren Ellis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sadler played uh, si- Simon Stagg, and yeah, he was the uh, president in Iron Man 3, and, um, uh, yeah, he's, and he's shown up on, on recent... He, they, Shield. Yeah, yep. so he's he's still officially president of the MCU, I guess. <laughs> yep. So, so it was cool. Always good to see a 90s Flash show up, too. Um, and I, I love the, just right from the get-go, I love... Um, the Joe and Barry relationship, and yeah, you know, this it, uh, first season definitely kind of hinges on the three fathers of Barry, with uh, Wells, Joe, and Henry. Yeah, and uh, as far as uh, yeah, Eddie Thon, I, I really like Rick Cosmet as Eddie Thon too. And then I, I wasn't a big fan of Iris is growing on me over the over the last couple seasons but uh yeah iris at the start is a, a total shrew um <laughs> well you don't there's just no i mean well your first the, your first impulse that it, it's kind of creepy that you know they i don't think they ever did in any of the comics where you know um barry was adopted by the you know the west family and ends up you know falling in love with basically kind of his sister <laughs> they decided to dive right in that with this show and uh Obviously, Iris and Barry aren't even together yet. Spoilers no. in, in the Flash, but <laughs> but it might be headed in that direction. So, yeah, it was kind of good for them to start her out with Eddie and, and put that on the back burner for a while. Yeah, well, I mean, it, the, with where the story ends up going, they needed to have an Eddie Thon yeah. in here. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing, and and that's part of the some of, that's part of the other thing that this season does well is that if you're a comics buff, you're hearing that name Thon. And already the wheels in your head are turning. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's a man in a yellow suit that's gunning for Barry. Yep. Um, so they've got the Thon name dangled out there. And it moves beyond just having somebody named Thon as being like a nod to anything. It's actually a rather intricate part of the season, which unfolds during the last couple episodes of the season. Yeah, they've done just like Arrow and just like... Uh, MCU, not so much, but I mean, um, they do a good job of, well, I'm thinking actually more of The Walking Dead, of, of following like the comic to a point, but throwing enough uh, curveballs out there that, you know, the, the long-time comic fans don't know exactly what's going to happen. Exactly. it's It's got to be a rough writing room to, to do that with, you know, it's like, how much do we adhere to it and just bore people and, you know, that we saw that coming. You know, and they didn't do that exactly like the comics and all the little nerd nitpicks that we do, um, you know, and, and keep it fresh. I love the building of, I love what CW did with both Flash and Arrow and made them, particularly Arrow, that's kind of a harder sell, of building the team, Team Arrow and Team Flash, and that, you know, these heroes, despite their powers and their abilities, really can't do it alone, and it, 
you know, it's it's nice to show that support system, and it's just not one guy out there, yeah, you know, doing these well, incredible I, things without any consequences or out, without any needing other people to help him. So. Yeah, well, I mean, has any have any of the TV versions of these characters ever not had a support system? The '90s Flash had, uh, yeah, Tina and, and had uh, Tina and uh, and uh, oh god, who was the Black Friend? Um, ah, I didn't want to say Black Friend. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember his name, unfortunately. I love that character too. Shit. Yeah. In uh, <laughs> you know, you had, even Batman in the '60s. He had Alfred, and he yeah, had and, Robin, and, and he had Commissioner Gordon, and, and Harriet indirectly. And, oh, and Aunt Harriet. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it, it, we watch the show because of the main character. We we're watching the the show because of the marquee. Yeah, characters, but it's the supporting cast that make it what you'd come back to. But a lot of it's out of financial necessity. I mean, you have to have dialogues. You can't just, you know, TV shows can't afford just your hero running around using his powers all the time. So you've got to have some downtime as far as, you know, big production values. And, and you got to have good people to, to carry that. And uh, it was a little shaky first first season of Flash, and, and I wasn't a big fan of Candace Patton, as, or not Candace Patton, but uh, Daniel Panabaker, I think, it's Caitlin. Yeah. But, um, but that's another thing where you can see the actors over the over the progression get better at their jobs, too. So. Yeah, well, I mean, with Dr. Snow especially, she's still reeling from the death of her fiancé. She yeah. doesn't want to be involved. She doesn't want to have any attachments at this point. Yeah. And Cisco just Hit it out of the park from day one on that show. He's, he's the true star. <laughs> <laughs> well, for it. guys like us, yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's I, honestly, there's other than uh, really Iris in the first season. I think everybody else is. You want to watch them? I mean, you really do. Yeah. Joe West, the relationship that Joe and Barry have is one of the one of the best relationships on TV. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, easy to follow in the cliches with something like that, but they just they nail it, you know, and talk about, you know, weird dynamics, you know. Basically, who someone who would have been, you know, suburb white kid, you know, gets taken in by a black family, and, and uh, you know, they don't really, they don't address that at all, they, they, just because no. they don't have to, you know. Well, it's, it's so not even so much and, that, I think it's, and I can say this as someone who is adopted, I when you grow up in a situation where your family is just your family, yeah, it's not. It doesn't even come down to anything like that. It, you just don't even think about it. I certainly don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they've uh, Arrow and CW and the Flash have always been kind of very progressive, and you know they've got LGBTQ characters and you know multiracial, you know biracial stuff, you know, relationships and stuff like that, and it's just they're, they're just basically like, yeah, this is the 21st century, and you know, deal with it, so Well, they're doing it the right way, they just they <laughs> never call attention to it, yeah, it's just yeah. there, yeah. it's, if you're gonna do it just do it and don't make a point of saying that you're doing it, right, yeah but, which is different than suddenly going back and saying, alright, Green Lantern Golden Age Green Lantern is gay now, it's like well, yeah <laughs> really okay, <doing> that? well <laughs> That, you want to have a gay character? That's fine. Just why don't you create a new character and make them be like just 
Or don't even say anything about it. Just do it and let the chips fall where they are. Well, might. yeah, and it proves you can do it without being overt and just have it be part of the story. Because like, also in The Flash, the, the we don't learn it till I think, a few episodes from now, but we learn that the... Uh, uh, the police chief is gay as a husband, you know, it's just no biggie, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah, and it's just totally an offhand comment that <clears throat> nobody reacts to, it just is what it is. Yeah, yeah. That was the only, actually, uh, we'll get to that when we do that episode, but that was the only time that I thought the show was actually overt about it, you know, and that was during the time of there being a big hubbub about gay marriage and stuff in the country, so... Mm-hmm. They kind of went out of their way to make a little point, and that's the only time I've really seen them do it, though. I was yeah. off on that, but um, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I, I, I dig this episode. It's, it's. I mean, we're still early in season one, but the foundation from these this first two episodes of this, it really, whatever they went in, knowing what they wanted to do with this show. It seems like they had a handle on it from the jump, uh, yeah. especially having already done two seasons of Arrow. They kind of knew what they needed to get accomplished right away, and they knew what they needed to tease right away. And they've certainly... Done, I mean, if... Now, my fiancé knows sweet fuck all about The Flash, mm-hmm. and I had already watched the whole first season before I said, you might want to check this out. I think you might like it. And it's one of those things where that first episode with Wells going into this little time vault, and then after this episode, it was it was, it was one of those things where it's like what? And it's like I had no clue. I didn't know who Wells was either. But I was like, you you, you want to keep watching it? It's doing the job that it needs to do. Ser- serialized fiction. Its job is to get you to watch the next episode. Yeah. And the stingers that they did in the first season <laughs> do exactly that. They make you want to watch the next episode. Yeah, yeah, those are brilliant. I mean, it's just it just puts so much on the table of what could be coming and how far they're willing to go. We I know we talked that up last episode too, but it's just it's astounding because it's very brave TV, and you know they're, they're writing checks that you're not even sure the show's going to be able to cash yet. <laughs> you know, we don't know if. We'll, couldn't you know? Who knows if it this show could have if it did badly enough? It may not have gone past you know sixteen episodes. You know, it may have only gone half a season before yeah. someone axed it. Um, but I think they were pretty confident from what you know Arrow was showing as far as ratings and and they just know they got a good product, man. These these guys are like you know we're, they knew they were going all in for you know the true kind of just joyous comic loving fans and 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 they sold it and they, and they must have reeled in enough people that you know aren't like that you know don't know the comics at all too to keep it exactly in the ratings it's, it's been getting so yeah well i mean it's the cw does what it does and it they do have a formula and they do stick with it and I, you know what i'm not going to fault them for it it's nah, it's working you know, for them a lot they of know, people a lot of young people you know millennials they knew yeah they know who their audience is <laughs> and to a certain degree they do have to play to that uh, I, mean, well, I think it, they know our audience their audience is us too man because we're the ones on a podcast raving about it and it's like yeah, yeah you guys nailed the 47 year old geek too congratulations <laughs> not yeah <laughs> i'm not quite that old but yeah it's um it's one of those things that, but having the layout for what they wanted to do, I think, is just as important. If you know where your story's going, 
right away. And I'm sure it's not 100% plotted out. But you have to have an idea of where, of what every episode is going to need to establish, is going to need to follow up on, is and is going to need to tease. And so I, I just, I mean, I, I imagine that most of that through line for the first season was had to have been planned out because I think it would have been very difficult to sort of haphazardly put it together. And it makes it, I mean, when you go back and you watch that first season in totality, it really does feel like they knew exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah, and I have to give them props, and I'm, I'm mainly a Marvel guy, but I think that first season of Arrow and first, not so much first season of Arrow, that had some clunky stuff. Yeah. The first a- season of uh, Flash, I think, did a better jumping off first season than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. even did. Um, yeah, but... I, I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and, and just by necessity of... They were tied to the the movie universe, which yeah. actually was a detriment at this they point. They were hamstrung was, for that yeah. first that, two-thirds. I don't know if they knew exactly where they were going from the get-go. Cause... I think they did, and I think they, were, they knew that they were kind of stuck in a holding pattern until yeah. Winter Soldier hit. And yeah. you can kind of tell when you go back and watch it, but... In any full season, I mean, Flash has its Monster of the Week, you know, stuff too, obviously. But, I mean, it's always with those Stinger and S.H.I.E.L.D., was doing the stingers too, you know, kind of after credit stuff um, to keep you going for the next episode, but and show you the bigger picture. But they would still have their monster of the week shows essentially, like I mean, X Files used to, like any good serial television has to. You know, you yeah, you still you have to have you have to have one off episodes, and you have to have. But it's, I mean, I'm sure it's just a playground for these creators, too. It's like, what random C and D list character can we pull out and use in a good way? Yeah. You know, so that you don't blow your load with, you know, doing all of the rogues up front. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I, I get that. Why would, you know, why wouldn't you this, just tease it out, just dangle it out there until you get to a point where, all right, let's get all the, because this is rogues that they haven't even used yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. The beauty of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., though, doing that is that that puts in your mind, it's like whenever they introduce, you know, obscure characters, which when we get to my episode, we'll, we'll find one of them. And a oh, pretty, yeah. Pretty glorious one, too. Yep. Um, that, those are seeds that, you know, hopefully somebody, someday down the line, long after I'm dead in Phase 16, someone <laughs> might, you know, say, hey, remember we used that guy in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 10 years ago? Let's drag him out and put him in a movie, you know. Yep. So, which is, yeah, if, if we don't address someday the uh, the Easter egg in, in my episode here, I'm going to be upset. But uh, but um, unless you've got something more to say, we'll we'll jump into Agents for Shield. Um, another solid episode of The Flash, though. And, yeah, it absolutely is, and I think that's going to be a problem with the first season of The Flash. There's really not many nitpicks that I'm going to have for yeah. it. Because uh, it's internally pretty consistent. I mean, if anything, it'll just be minor stuff that oh, it's not exactly like the comic. But I, I understand the, the license that's going to be taken when yeah. you have to put a comic on TV. All my nitpicks were basically the actors, you know, being a little phoned in at times, or you know, just not being comfortable in their characters yet. But man, as that time went on, that went away pretty quickly, and it was just a fun ride from day one. So. Absolutely. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? 
Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. Wow, we had a pretty good uh, episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, uh, Season 1, Episode 3, called The Asset, uh, written by Judd Whedon and Marissa Tancharwin, maybe. I think it's Tancharone, I could Tancharone, be wrong. Tancharone, that'll work. That sounds more exotic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never good at them exotic words and names. Uh, in our opening scene, uh, here's a character we, we only saw once or twice in the series, and I'd love to see him back, but um, opening scene, we have kind of a... You know, we, we don't nothing really special going on. We were a trucker rolling down the road talking on a CB, as truckers are wont to do, so I'm told. Uh, we soon learn that he's actually being escorted by some dark-colored SUVs, so something's up, and the vehicles, um, the escort vehicles, start mysteriously flying away as if pulled up by some kind of gravity-type force. Mm. Um, and we learn that Mac, the, the truck driver, very clever guy, is really, you know, went to the well for that name, uh, is is an agent himself tasked with protecting some cargo, and he calls for backup, and we realize that he is actually an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and presumably whoever caused the cars to fly away and the truck to wreck uh, break into the truck, and we learn the package is actually a human being. Um, so we cut to Ward training a whiny Sky in the, the physical stuff that you have to do to become an agent, and giving her the old uh, Mickey pep talk. You know. <laughs> Come on, you can do a Mickey for me. I know you can do a Mickey for me. Uh, Mickey, no, I can do Rocky. I <laughs> no. can't do Mickey. You're a greasy Italian tank, guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to hire Dr. Bill just for impersonations. Don't we? <laughs> uh, May interrupts with a call to a mission, and we learn that the package was a S.H.I.E.L.D. asset named Dr. Franklin Hall, who Fitz and Simmons mentioned that they have a history with, and they're we're former students of. Uh, Colson and company interview the truck driver, and he posits that uh, they had an inside man. Uh, Fitzsimmons do some science detecting stuff, and they find a residue of uh, a mysterious substance. And this is one of the first times that uh, Fitz talks about how he wishes he had a monkey, you know, a little trained monkey to go and do some of their more difficult tasks, and we get some great Fitzsimmons stuff in this. Sky offers to help in the intelligence search, and Ward comes in bursting her bubble and has already pretty much done it and has come up with three likely suspects already for people who have sold, like, construction equipment to these people that are mining this mysterious substance. Um, and May gives Sky a literal pile of paperwork to go through to help with the hunt of Dr. Hall. So she's a little disappointed that she's not getting more hands-on stuff yet, but um, justifiably the team is still a little... 
you know, antsy around her and not quick to trust her because she's an unknown quantity at this point and not an agent. Um, Coulson goes to Colorado to interrogate one of the suspects, and we find out a mysterious benefactor has been paying for his construction equipment with gold bars, but he doesn't know anything. Uh, Fitzsimmons tracked the gold to a mine owned by an Ian Quinn, who will become prominent in the series for a little while. Um, We meet in the next scene with the captive Dr. Hall. They obviously know each other, and Hall mentions that Malta, which is the country they're in at the time, is a place where S.H.I.E.L.D. can't do anything without causing, like, an international incident. They haven't been allowed to to go in there, which, you know, is almost surprising to learn that S.H.I.E.L.D. even gives a fuck. <laughs> but apparently they do in this case. Uh, he shows Hall a sample of the same stuff the team found at the tra- uh, truck hijack scene, and then we cut back to Fitzsimmons doing some nice science exposition for us on Gravitonium. Oh, <laughs> Back to Quinn and Hall, and Quinn is enticing him with promises of scientific fame and a chance to work on his his life's dream, basically, which is the substance. Uh, back at the bus, Sky offers to go in because she's not technically shield yet, so this is kind of the duis ex machina to get Sky in the main mission because um, she's not an official shield agent. So for some reason, her going won't cause an international incident, whatever. And she managed to, like, hack herself an invitation to this party that Quinn's having anyway. Of course. Um, and uh, due to her connections to Rising Tide, uh, Ward expresses his concerns. Coulson isn't hearing it. You know, oh, we got to think out the box. She's going to be an asset, blah, blah, blah. Fitzsimmons uh, hooks Sky up with all the neato shield gadgets she'll need, and she heads off to the party. She is schmoozing with a guest who will help from uh, a com hookup with May, who is kind of feeding her information a la broadcast news and, um, you know, uh, giving her little tidbits on some of the guests she's talking about. So she looks like she fits in. She finally meets Quinn, and Quinn surprisingly offers Sky a job and says he realizes that she basically hacked herself an invite. And he's like, but that's cool. I want somebody that can do that working with me. And he knows that she's, you know, tied to Rising Tide, and uh, and Quinn is is this very Ayn Randian type guy that, you know, he's basically in Malta, he gives a speech, um, very Randian speech about how Malta's great because they can do all this scientific, you know, exploration without any, you know, messy things like ethical oversight, <laughs> you know. Mm. You know, Dr. Mengele would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Dr. Hall is working furiously on something in the lab, and Skye is off snooping. Quinn actually catches Skye snooping, confronts her about it, and he calls security, but um, seemingly betraying S.H.I.E.L.D., she, she writes him a little note saying, S.H.I.E.L.D. is watching, S.H.I.E.L.D. is listening. So uh, back at headquarters, May and Fitzsimmons lose her signal, and we learn that she has ditched her comm device, and she's kind of working. Well, it appears that she's completely betraying S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. She tells Quinn that she's been scoping out S.H.I.E.L.D. to gather intelligence on him that she might expose to people or sell, keeping her options open, as she says. Uh, meanwhile, Coulson and Ward take out Quinn's goons and get ready to liberate uh, Sky and Hall. Uh, we learn that Sky hasn't turned on S.H.I.E.L.D., and she's using kind of her womanly wiles and one of the gadgets that uh, Fitzsimmons gave her a little, you know, the classic spy compact oh, for a woman, you know, doing her makeup while hacking every computer in the house. Multitasking. Uh, yeah, uh, shutting down the security systems, actually. 
And um, Quinn discovers the ruse eventually and, and points the gun at her, you know, because she kind of a little prematurely was like, ah, jig is up, my people are on the way. It's like, yeah, you idiot, but you're still talking to the guy with the gun. You really should, you know, you don't want to start that end zone celebration too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you get tackled on the one yard line. Yes. Coulson gets to Hall, but he refuses to leave. Um, Dr. Hall explains that he intends to destroy the Gravitonium and Quinn and pretty much everyone on Malta, pretty much at that point, um, to hide this power. You know, it's one of those things that nobody should ever have this much power. I've got to put an end to it. Uh, he sits down with some booze to wait out the inevitable end, as I would. Why not? Um, gravity in the room is starting to go screwy, and we get uh, Lionel Richie's dancing on the ceiling room. Eventually, where everything's <laughs> upside down. I knew you were old enough to get that one at least. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Ward is searching for Sky as the place is falling apart. Um, Quinn is threatening her with a gun and she uses, you know, the the one day of training she got with Warren and, and Ward and definitely takes it away from him. But she can't bring herself to shoot him, so she jumps out of a window into a pool so he can be treated to wet dress Sky. And oh my. Yep, hey. <laughs> I ain't complaining. Nope. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, in Dancing on the Ceiling Room, Hall is Coulson under a gun as Phil tries to talk him down. Um, Sky gets caught, but Super Soldier Ward saves the day. Stuff continues to go to hell in the lab, and Coulson gets the upper hand, but Hall still won't help him stop things, and Phil, realizing he won't sway Hall, shoots the floor below or ceiling below him, <laughs> causing him to fall into the gravitonium construct. And the Hall Gravitonium mess is ended up locked in the shield fridge with no labels, no explanation. You know, it's the it's the Ark of the Covenant at this point, in the deepest level of security. And uh, May comes around actually to be putting back into the field, mainly because she gets too frustrated watching the rest of her team almost get killed, and she's like, "I'm better than all you guys. I should be out there." <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so you just put Sky in the field. She almost got herself shot, and like we just can't be having this. This is messy. Um, final scene is Ward and Sky back bonding over the uh, the fast bag and punching training and talking about family or lack thereof. Um, and we we learn that you know Sky is kind of bounced from foster family to foster family and doesn't really know about her family at all despite the fact she kind of said that she did in the first episode, but pilot episode will let it go. Um, and her after credit scene shows the gravitonium being stored, and we are led to believe, uh, through a mysterious hand coming out of the CGI mess, that Dr. Hall may be alive in the heart of it. Graviton exists. Yeah. And um, that's that huge, uh, huge Easter egg that they'll probably never, ever come back to, but it's it's kind of like the... The Flash Metamorpho thing. It's like, yeah, he's dead, but we got to see Metamorpho. <laughs> yeah. You know, in whatever form. And, and, you know, that's what I always said right after this episode first came out. I'm like, man, that'd be just so choice. It's like, now they can just pick Graviton, you know. I, I really hope that they would try to deal with him in the series, but he's actually such a powerful being. Oh, yeah. It'd be like, you know, that's, that's something you would want to almost pick out of the uh said the the lost lost and found and using in a future avengers movie or yeah, something yeah i mean someday. he's he's an omega level threat yeah. you really putting the the shield agents against him would be kind of a waste yeah so i mean he's been in uh thunderbolts and he's 
primarily it was a big Fantastic Four villain for quite a while, so it's almost surprising that MCU even had him. But I guess he, I think he's mainly usually kind of an Avengers baddie, isn't he? I honestly don't remember. I think they had him. What did they, they in the comics, where they had, they had him buried in like the. I'm on like the the Marvel wiki now. It says the super uh, gravity containment chamber, like unconscious, buried under the friggin' ocean. It wasn't the raft, and it wasn't the the big house or the. It says he battled Spider-Man during Acts of Vengeance. Who didn't battle each other during <laughs> yeah, Acts right. of Vengeance? Yeah. <laughs> that was kind was, of the point. And he was in Zemo's Thunderbolts too. So hey, hey, who there, knows? there you go. Guess who we just had in a movie? Hint, hint. Zemo's Masters of Evils with Graviton would not go amiss. <laughs> no, no. It would, I, yeah, it, they could bring him back if they wanted to. They probably won't. And he's if they do, they're going to have a powerhouse to take him out because yeah. he's way too strong. But um, as far as, like, rising, you know, still not really feeling... Quinn becomes important in, in, in the rest of the season and kind of becomes a big bad for a little bit. Um, as I said, he's basically the, the chemical engineer, science Supervillain, you know, it's just trying to do things outside of the the lay of the law, and that usually leads to shit like world-ending substances like gravitonium. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, solid episode, and we got to see you know Sky out in the field for the first time, and and in a wet dress, and um, <laughs> you know, and we're still not positive about. Uh, at the end of the at the end of the show, she kind of tells Ward that she's she's definitely committed to to wanting to become a full agent at this point. And she was kind of up in the air before, but I mean, we're still almost not sure, you know, about her her full loyalties yet, and I think that gets addressed later on too. But. Yeah, well, I mean, it's that's part of the part of the appeal of the beginning of this season is I mean, she's one, she's the audience surrogate, and she's also the kind of the MacGuffin. Yeah, had some great Fitzsimmons stuff in this. Some really funny um, interplay between them and, and Simmons is just, or not Simmons, but Fitz. And I'm glad they kind of loosened up on this a little bit. But they almost went like, you never go full nerd with your nerd characters, and they've kind of gone full nerd with his clothes and stuff in this in the early episodes. It almost will, like, hit us over the head. It's like, we get it. He's the science guy. Okay, you can stop with the fucking lame <laughs> sweaters and the bad haircut. And, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. He, uh, I, I have no problem with this characterization because they, <laughs> I mean, he does certainly start off as very ultra square. They both do, but. Yeah. The stuff do. about him wanting a trained monkey is, is just gold, though. I loved it. Who wouldn't want a trained monkey? Yeah, yeah. It would have to be trained. That's the whole point. It's, yeah, a trained monkey, sure. But, um, so a little more will, will... This was almost... This was kind of like a Monster of the Week for S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, it was kind of one and done. We we got the bad guy. We're well, not even the bad guy, but, you know, we got Gravitonium all locked up and, and put in the vault for, for future use if we need it. And, um... And we've met Quinn, who's going to be doing something, something. So. Yeah. Not much else going on. I mean, the standard kind of, you know, here's the mission, let's go do it. And a lot of season one is like that. Not a lot of... We, we start getting seeds pretty soon of, of the mythology building and what happened to Coulson. And, um, but they kind of save that for the back half of the, the season. Um, 
I think the next one might be where Sif shows up. I don't recall. Was it exactly. that early? I don't remember. Uh, let me see real quick. No more centipede stuff. And no, I guess it's quite a while. Yeah, before. Yeah, I, I think it's the well. It's like episode eight. Well. Talks about as Asgardian stuff. So okay, yeah, it's it's. I haven't done my. I haven't watched the first season since the first season. Yeah, so yeah. I'm definitely going to be able, having to catch up as we go through these because uh, it's been a while. Right, next one we get I Spy, and then we uh, get Girl in the Flower Dress for episode five. <laughs> oh yeah, that's an important one. Starts quite an arc. Yes, yes, it does. Um, so. And that actress is going to be Tulip on Preacher, and I'm very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure we'll be covering that, too. It's on some show, because yeah. I know I'll be watching it. I think it qualifies for this show. Jesse isn't exactly a superhero, but it was a comic book, so I could be down with covering Preacher. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be, I think there's plenty of uh, fellow freaks out there that'll be up for talking about Preacher. I gotta go back and read it all again, just so I can properly nitpick the show, because, uh, you know... <laughs> Because I, I want to torture myself like that. I think I'm going to avoid that. Uh, there's some high. There's definitely certain moments from that series that have still are burned into my brain. I think yeah. I'll just. I think I'll just let the show happen at this point because that's why I kind of think I dropped out of Walking Dead. I was still too close to the source material. There, there might be a good call, yeah, because I already know a couple things that they're not going. You know, it seems like less of a road trip show than it should be, but we'll see. Yeah, way off subject, way off subject, but... Yeah, well, there's uh, certain places they will need to go. But that's for another show. Yeah. Uh, our next show will probably be covering episode four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and episode two of Arrow. And um, that's about all I got, man. I five pages of notes, too, and that seemed to go quicker than last week. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... Getting a little better at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think we need. We don't need to have a, a three-hour index show for two episodes yeah. of TV. Yeah, we're in a work in progress here, kids. Uh, actually, what I'd like us to start doing probably is like doing our little our you know synopsis, and then maybe have designated break and discussion points or something. But we we do okay, just kind of you know walking on each other and being like, hey, I'd like to say something. So yeah, it's all easy stuff. Uh, yeah, but. Thanks for joining us, Weekly Heroics. I'm Scott McGregor, and he's... Hey, I'm me. I'm, Greg, I'm, I'm Chris Taylor, the hair metal hero. He's the hero, and uh, we're talking about heroes, and we'll be doing it again. Don't forget to click that Amazon link, kids. Bye now. <laughs> Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV, is produced by Scott McGregor and Chris Tyler. Contact us by email at weeklyheroics at yahoo.com.
happening here? Come on up. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that upside-down cake. Hey, Louie, come here. You gotta see this. Hey, Louie. Louie, come here. Louis. 